0: Hey, everybody, welcome back to Vince and Jason Save the Nation. We've got a great show to you, for you today. There's a whole lot going on. Uh, we've got, of course, Alan Weisselberg uh, being perp-walked through uh, New York by the Manhattan DA, and uh, it seems that he received some fringe benefits along with some other executives at the Trump Organization, uh, and the organization did not pay payroll taxes on that, nor Did Weisselberg report them as income? Uh, Some of those uh, assets include two Mercedes Benzes, uh, an apartment, a garage, utilities, uh, and tuition for his grandchildren, totaling almost $400,000. However, of course, Trump has responded. He's coming out more publicly. He says that this is just another witch hunt, that this is uh, politically motivated. Uh, And I'm wondering what your thoughts are, Vince.
1: Well, the attorneys that are involved here, the prosecutors, that is, have been pretty open anti-Trump partisans. That's for sure. Letitia James and Cy Vance, the Manhattan district attorney uh, who brought these charges. Um, They've been really clear for a while that they've kind of wanted to investigate Trump and his organization with the hope of finding something. And if this is that something, um, I would say it's kind of a gigantic disappointment for that. For, for having this many years and this many resources expended on trying to get Trump. I mean, you've got uh, based Alan Weisselberg, who has been uh, with the Trump Organization for decades now, a pretty loyal guy uh, to Donald Trump, the way it's reported. And a, a guy who who seems to know everything, he's the CFO, he seems to probably know most, if not all, about the finances of what's happening inside of Trump's business. So it's not really a surprise that he was targeted here what is a surprise based on experts who look at have been looking at these charges is how exceptional it is for someone to actually be criminally prosecuted for something like this this is normally uh where where you misclassify something in your taxes or you don't declare to the irs all of the things that you should owe them Um, it's normally handled as a civil matter where the irs will penalize you and add interest and demand to recoup that money from you. There's no evidence that occurred in this case. This is this was never handled as a civil matter. It was it's being handled exclusively now as a criminal matter, where they're bringing these big, showy public charges against this guy. Uh, and that's that is actually pretty exceptional, according to uh, a, a whole bunch of experts who've taken a look at this. Um, so, with that in mind. You know, I think yesterday was a big expression of how much they want to uh, hopefully sort of shame Weisselberg into ultimately uh, achieving some sort of um, settlement with the prosecutors here to try and turn him against Donald Trump. I I fully expect that this is all based on an effort to uh, politically persecute Trump. I really do. Uh, And the reason I believe that among among many, some of them I've already stated is, you know, they pull Weisselberg in. Remember, Weisselberg turned himself in yesterday morning. He 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 voluntarily turned himself in. You know, they were demanding he do that. So he did. And then after they had him there, they cuffed him and then they walked him back out through the hallway in front of dozens of reporters. Flashbulbs galore. This is like paparazzi central. And that's what we call a perp walk. It's designed to convey a message to the public. Um you know, I, this is that's not an excuse for, for not paying your taxes. It's not an excuse for receiving fringe benefits and failing to give the government uh, what it's owed based on our laws. But it is a concern that this is an over the top political prosecution uh, designed to go after Trump. And that's a, I think that's a disappointing feature of our system.
0: Well, it'll be interesting to see how this actually plays out. I know, um, when I think about some of my, you know, I'm a, I'm a fan of hip hop and a fan of rap music. And, I, and you know, I've seen uh, a lot of people, Lauryn Hill, uh, Fat Joe, a couple of people who have not reported their taxes correctly um, and underpaid their taxes and they go to prison. Um, so, you know, and, and not even country club prison, not Michael Cohen prison. And we'll talk a little about, about Michael Cohen as well, but... Uh, they go to real prison. So I, I'm not sure that I know um, that this should be any different. Um, now, and the government loves to make examples of celebrities, that's something that they do. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, yeah. And I don't think that that is partisan. Uh, we've seen it with you know uh, Tommy Chong and we, we've seen, the government likes to make examples of high profile cases. To let the world know you can't do this and you can't get away with it, um, Alan Weiselberg. The issue is also, I think, intent. I think that Sy Vance, um, and you, you mentioned Letitia James as well. But I think that they are trying to say what Michael Cohen has said is that this was all intentional. They wanted to evade taxes. It wasn't like, oh, oops, we forgot or, oh, we made a mistake for a year. This has been going on for a long time. It was an intentional attempt to evade their responsibilities to the IRS. It wasn't a mistake. It wasn't a snafu. They wanted to not pay taxes on all of these fringe benefits that they were getting from the Trump organization. And I do agree that the goal in any prosecution is not to get the little guy or even the guy next to the to the big guy it's to get the big guy and uh you know many people believe that Donald Trump is the person who is referred to as unindicted co-conspirator number 1 um we don't know that yet uh but that is you know an assumption and i think these prosecutors want to go after Donald Trump wanted to look into his financial records in part because people who worked for the trump organizations were saying including michael cohen were saying look there are crimes there we were party to those crimes we helped him commit those crimes you need to look into them and i believe you know michael cohen has said that he met with uh prosecutors at least 10 times he brought documents he he's the one who went in front of congress and said look Uh, he undervalued his properties to, to not pay taxes, but he's such a narcissist that he overvalued them in order to seem wealthier than he actually was. Um, and I think that when you have somebody who has been coming forward, who is within the inner circle of an organization, right. Says, uh, look, I committed these crimes and, and, and let's also understand, and Michael Cohen uh, again, I know I've made a lot of it, uh, invitations on the show. I would love to have Michael Cohen. I, there's a lot of conversations, I think, that are left to be had, believe it or not, with Michael Cohen about his involvement with the Trump organization and his, you know, all of a sudden, Mia culpa. But we have to remember that he went to, to prison in part for hiding income. That's part of why he went to prison. Um, so I, I think he was saying look this was kind of common practice in the trump organization the trump organization nothing operates without donald trump's knowledge so when we look at for example you know i think i think i heard somebody on msnbc the other day who worked for the trump organization they were like look we call ourselves the tr- we called ourselves the trump organization um but this is not general motors you know this is not uh chevron or something like that this is a essentially almost a small business mm-hmm. nothing happens without weisselberg's knowledge and nothing happens right without donald trump's knowledge uh weisselberg also his his daughter-in-law is saying that everybody in the family not only did weisselberg know and understand that this was criminal activity but that uh You know, Weisselberg, nothing goes down in this organization without Alan Weisselberg. And and that's what Cohen has said as well. I think that our prosecutors in that area have the responsibility to at least investigate. And if they find something, and I think they have something more that they're trying to flip Weisselberg on, I agree with you there that they are trying to get Donald Trump. They are trying to get the Trump organization and perhaps the Trump family. I, I totally agree with you there. But... I don't think they're, you know, just blindly, you know, digging for gold. Uh, I think that they have realized from all of the uh, things that have been said publicly by people who were in Trump's inner circle, who are no longer in Trump's inner circle, that there's something there, and that's why they're they're trying to flip Weiselberg, who is the closest person to Donald Trump.
1: Right. So I, I have a couple. Um... Uh, reactions to this one is uh that you've got like Michael Cohen obviously not a neutral party here you're right very close to Trump for many years but uh, clearly has it out for Trump and has for several years now uh and so he's got a lot of animosity for the guy his the degree to which you can trust Michael Cohen typically I'm not talking about for you and I but typically is a, as a partisan question, right? It's like, who on whose side is he at the moment? And that typically is the coefficient by which you seek people trust him. Uh, like, for instance, the cable networks instantly turning, uh, that would be MSNBC and CNN, instantly turning to Michael Cohen for analysis of this Weisselberg arrest this week. Obviously, Cohen is an interested party
0: in in all of this. Um, he's been calling out Alan Weisselberg for a while. I think that's that's part of it. Uh, yes, I'm not defending MSNBC or, or CNN, but I will say... He's been the one that said Alan Weisselberg, he's been saying his name for quite a while.
1: And uh, on the issue of tax evasion versus tax avoidance, evasion being illegal, avoidance being legal in, in the way I'm using it, um, you know, it really will be up to Weisselberg's attorneys to su- successfully make a case in court that any sort of um, uh, tax advantages that he att- att- uh, attempted to gain over the years, that he was doing it with an expectation that it was legal and perhaps even legally um and you know you and i when we do our taxes each year we'd be foolish not to take the deductions that we can find right in order to to help our taxes or you know if you're in the stock market you know you and you sometimes you know i people with more wealth than i have but people who own stocks who will sell off things where they make money they actually make a capital gain they also sometimes will sell off the things that were big losers that year in order to avoid paying taxes on the money that they actually made um it's not it's of course, it's a pretty common practice. So it's gonna be up to Weisselberg's attorneys to successfully argue that he was doing something legal and intended to. Um, So we'll see, we will see how that goes. But I think that final point you made about how, look, they're trying to flip him because they wanna get Trump. Um, I completely agree with you. This is an area where you and I are together on that specific point. Uh, I think that's a massive problem. I think that's a massive problem because unless you have a clear indication that Donald Trump, or any American for that matter, committed a crime, then what you have is nothing more than an attempt to hunt for a crime until you can find one that you can establish and then to hurt him. Uh, it, it reminds me of the you know the Stalin-esque you know, secret police quote, show me the man and I'll show you the crime. Um, if you don't think the federal government can figure out a way to tag any American with a crime, then you don't know the power of the federal government. They really can. They can all they have to do is sort through your life enough until they can establish that you did something that they want to charge. And if that's the system we're headed towards, we're not, and I would argue that we're already kind of in now, um, it's not good for the country. You know, it's, what we have here is a big deal that a former president of the United States would be pursued by government prosecutors. It is a destabilizing thing. So you better have a genuine, authentic, provable, and sober case. Because if it's, if it's just going to be some sort of process prime where you hassle him and then the end result is that the country is more unstable, then was that really worth it? Like, was, that, was that actually good for the country or did it serve your political interests? And I think that's a worthwhile question for um, people who are in government who are given this incredible power to prosecute.
0: Well, I will, I will say this. Um, I think that with any organization um, that is involved in criminal activity, they look to the head of the organization. That's why you have RICO statutes and all these kinds of things is because they don't want the underlings to do the time. Whereas the uh, the big guy who doesn't get his hands dirty right. gets away with it. And, yes. I, and I think there is enough, um, there were enough people saying this guy is involved in criminal activity to investigate it. And I also think that there is uh, enough um I, I I don't know this for a fact but i it seems to me like there's something there that they are not disclosing they don't want you know the whole world to sit there and and pontificate on these issues. I think that Michael Cohen showed documentation at least that's what he has said he said he met with the manhattan da uh, i believe even with the southern district of new York, He has been, uh, he and his attorneys have come forward and said, Look, there is something there. I have the documentation that Donald Trump was involved. um, And I don't think that they're just shooting blindly because they don't want to see Trump be president. Or I think that, you know, anybody, I think we should all feel some level of comfort knowing that you and I are as susceptible. Uh, to the law yes. as the president of the United States. We all have to follow the law. That should be comforting to all of us. If you underreport or you commit a crime, a tax-related crime, you could be in trouble and face an indictment. And I think the same thing needs to be said. There's no one who is above the law. It's good for the country to actually, when you have some evidence of crimes being committed, for uh that crime to be investigated and if charges present themselves then uh for that person to be charged regardless of their status i don't care if you're a billionaire i don't care if you're politically connected both of which donald trump is and i think that i don't like the idea that fat joe from the south bronx even though he's relatively wealthy goes to prison and donald trump gets away with it because he's president and he's popular Uh, because he's a billionaire because he's connected so that that's my issue with i
1: agree i agree even standards of justice is is uh is a stabilizing force i totally agree with you which is why i think that cyrus vance should not be the district attorney of manhattan this is one of the reasons why i don't trust this prosecution and i'll give you two specific examples um uh jeffrey epstein who of course is now dead died in manhattan in a manhattan prison he um was given a reduced sex offender status by Cyrus Vance. Cyrus Vance gave him a sweetheart deal when he was alive in New York. Also Harvey Weinstein. Now, eventually Cyrus Vance did successfully prosecute Harvey Weinstein in New York, but that was only after tremendous political pressure because of his failures in 2015 to prosecute Harvey Weinstein. He turned down a prosecution of Harvey Weinstein. Now, it wasn't because he, he lacked evidence, although that's what he claimed. The model who had accused Harvey Weinstein had worn a wire. Remember that famous recording where the, where the model confronts Harvey Weinstein and it's all caught on tape, his apologies and all this? That was all available to Cy Vance. Cy Vance did not prosecute Harvey Weinstein. Why? Because Harvey Weinstein was rich, powerful, and connected in New York. That was it. And so the idea that like Cyrus Vance is some sort of neutral arbiter of justice and this will bring some sort of stability to all of, to all of us, um, I just think is laughable on its face. I know that's not what you said. But my concern is that um, he's the wrong guy. He's the wrong guy. We've got we've got far too many people who have access to power who've used that power corruptly, who are now subsequently asking us to trust that they're going to do the right thing this time. Uh, and so, for that reason, I'm deeply skeptical. Not a, not forgiving anybody who broke the law. And if Alan Weisselberg did in a meaningful way that is deserving of criminal prosecution, so be it. it good, go after him. But uh, I just think that like. As a broader point, corruption within our government has deteriorated our trust in those institutions, and, um, that, and that needs to be remedied rapidly.
0: Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, and Cy Vance, um, I think one of the reasons why he should uh, aggressively go after this case, if it you know, ha- indeed has merit, and from what I've read, it seems as though it does. Um, I think he should is precisely for the reasons that you said. Maybe he has had some some places where he's fallen short in the past. Um, I think he should be somebody who goes after these cases of rich, powerful, connected people. And, um, you know, he did get Harvey Weinstein. I don't necessarily see the connection between Harvey Weinstein, well, other than the fact that they were once friends, uh, not not, uh, Harvey Weinstein, I'm thinking of- um,
1: Jeffrey Epstein.
0: Jeffrey Epstein. Um, and you know, and Harvey Weinstein and all of them and, um, and Donald Trump. And I will say this, um, I do think that there is, if you want to cherry pick through cases of any prosecutor, and this is one of the issues that I had with some of the things that were said, even about Amy Klobuchar, who I'm not the biggest fan of. But Amy Klobuchar, um, even Kamala Harris, and their careers as prosecutors—if you want to cherry pick and find a case where they did not get the desired outcome based on your emotions, then we can find that with any prosecutor in the country. There is no prosecutor who hasn't made deals, who hasn't, uh, who has a 100% slam dunk record where they've always gotten the 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 guilty party or they haven't, you know, prosecuted somebody who was not guilty or they haven't made a mistake or let somebody off a little easy. Uh, I think we can cherry pick those cases. What we need to see is in the aggregate, um, are they somebody who is corrupt, who is trying to let powerful people go, or is, you know, maybe taking a bribe or, you know, is maybe there's some nepotism involved. Uh, I think that that's what's really problematic, but we can certainly uh, cherry pick cases for Cy Vance, for any, any prosecutor throughout the country and say, look, they fell short here, so they shouldn't prosecute here. Um, I don't think that that's always uh, the case. We we do, I think there can be a pattern, but I'm not so sure that there, there's a pattern that exists for Cy Vance. Um, and, you know, since we're talking prosecution, I think that that's actually a good segue in to, you know, after this one moment to talk a little bit about uh, Bill Cosby EDD. Um, So let's talk a little about Bill Cosby right after this. So Vince, Bill Cosby walked out of prison um, a few days ago and, you know, it's caused a big uproar big uproar in social media. Many people are very upset uh, with this outcome. Uh, Bill Cosby was certainly, you know, found guilty of sex crimes. He was supposed to tr- serve a three to 10 year sentence. Uh, he served three years and then the Pennsylvania Supreme Court uh, freed him on what appears to be, I, I don't know if we can call that a technicality, but it was certainly, um, something that they thought was not correct and they freed Bill Cosby. And I'm wondering what your reaction to Bill Cosby walking out of prison a free man at 83.
1: My understanding of this is that, uh, is that it is bad that it, that this is how it all went down. Um, I, think, I think it is objectively bad that this is how all of it went down. That um, it, it seems like he did the crime so therefore he should do the time. Um, And so it's disappointing that he's been released from prison. But it was apparently technically correct because this was the product of an old prosecutor, the prior prosecutor, who had essentially threatened to criminally pursue him, but instead decided uh, to, but in exchange for his own testimony in a taped deposition, sworn deposition, he would allow the civil case against him to uh, proceed without criminally charging him for the underlying crime.
0: That's but
1: correct. when they when he gave the deposition, that deposition was then used subsequently by the next prosecutor to actually hold him uh, criminally responsible. Uh, and there is no written evidence of the agreement. Apparently there's only verbal evidence of this agreement, but I, it was enough to satisfy the judge. Uh, and I guess presumably that it makes sense that there was a verbal agreement because why the hell would Bill Cosby sit down to give a deposition like that that's so incriminating were it not for the fact that he had an agreement of this nature. It does make it that that does make sense. So my position is this is deeply disappointing that it's reached this conclusion, but it sounds like it's legally sound that it occurred.
0: Yeah, I, I'm I'm in agreement with you as, you know, begrudgingly I, I'm in agreement here. Um, I think Bill Cosby is guilty as sin. Um you know, when you have, you know, I might believe you, honestly, or, or at least give you, uh, you know, the benefit of the doubt if you had two accusers, four accusers maybe even. We start getting to 10 accusers with the same story, and then I'm like, you know, it's starting to look bad. Once you get 20-plus accusers, uh, I think it really, really looks bad, and I'm starting to think, you know, 20 different accusers who don't all know each other, who all have the exact same story. Uh, it, it looks really bad. So I just want to say that because, you know, there are people, even people I'm friends with. I was on a group text uh, with two of my, you know, my very best friends. We were talking and one of them believes Bill Cosby is not guilty. And I'm just like, Lord Jesus. Bill Cosby is guilty. He committed the crime. Um, and, you know, they're like, oh, and there's all these rumors, particularly in the African American community. He wanted to buy NBC, and that's why they wanted to bring him down. Or I'd heard that there was oil or gold under his property. Or something. There's all kinds of conspiracy theories as to why Bill Cosby uh, was put uh, in jail and convicted. Mm-hmm. And to me, it's clear that he was guilty. I also think that the, the villain here, and I shouldn't even say villain because I understand why Bruce Castor did this, you know, and this is the Bruce Caster you're thinking of. Um, the reason he did it, like you said, is because, you know, you're not going to get any kind of admission of uh, responsibility Without that, he would have uh, taken his Fifth Amendment rights. They did not have enough evidence on, on his face to actually you know, uh, prosecute him. Uh, the threats weren't going to work because Bill Cosby was powerful enough and wealthy enough to have really good attorneys who were going to say, nah, leave this alone. Um, but they were willing to say, you can pay this woman $3.38 million. You got the money just to make this go away, to put a gag order on it, and be done with it. And so Bill Cosby came forward, said, yes, I have uh, gotten quaaludes and given it to women in order to have sex with them. Um, And I think that, of course, that was used by subsequent prosecutors in Pennsylvania to uh, prosecute Bill Cosby. And shout out to Andrea Constant for you know, being brave enough to come forward and all, you know, almost 60 women, I think it was 58 women who came forward and said that they had been abused by Bill Cosby over the years. Um, and Bill Cosby, some of these women, it, it's just boggles the mind because Bill Cosby was actually dating these women. Like he didn't even, he could have just asked for sex. You know what I mean? He didn't even it's need to do bizarre. this, but he did it anyway. Cause he's got some sort of strange sexual fetish fetish. Um, which included, you know, I guess, knocking women out and, and not getting their consent. But I just want to make one last point. And that is, you know, as someone who has had sexual assault survivors and victims confide in them a few times, you know, I'm in a, in a setting, you know, where sexual assaults happen. And and that's in, you know, college and university setting. And I've had that Unfortunately, almost every semester, where a student will disappear from classes, and you know, come and be like, "This happened," but I don't want to come forward. I want to say one thing to the media, and I hope this doesn't get misconstrued and misunderstood, and go viral, and people are like Vincent Jason or whatever. I don't think we should be saying that Bill Cosby being let. Out of prison under these circumstances, um, there's a lot of dialogue about this is why victims don't come forward, and I think that we shouldn't necessarily look at it that way. And the reason I say that is um, for for a couple of reasons. Number one, I can tell you just really quickly at a situation with a police officer, and he had you know threatened to to body slammed me on the concrete and bust my head open. Those were like his words. And I asked for his badge number. I was like, this is this is an outrage, you can't do this. Uh, and this was, you know, 20 years ago and it was a black police officer. The white police officer pulled me aside. I didn't think he was actually looking out for me. Shout out to that white police officer, wherever he is. And one of the things he said to me, he was like, look, you know, We can do basically whatever we want. He was like, we can bust your head open and we can arrest you. And it was a Friday night. He's like, you'll be until Monday. You know, you can file a complaint. It'll sit in our, you know, in a file cabinet, which no one will look at. But at the end, in the end of the day, we took away your freedom for 48 hours. Who won? And that was one of the realest conversations I ever had. with a cop. I've had a lot of real conversations with police officers, but he was basically like, we took away your freedom. Bill Cosby got sentenced to three to 10 years. Now he never admitted guilt, which is problematic, but most rape victims never see their attacker arrested, never see their atta- attacker tried, never see their attacker convicted. And never right. see their attacker imprisoned. You got all four of those with Bill Cosby. Yeah. And he actually was up for parole several months before this case came down. He, uh, he did not get paroled because he would not admit guilt. and did not, uh, you know, attend a class for sexually violent people. He would have gotten out of jail earlier. We got the time right. from him. He spent that time in prison. He's going to die in 18 months. I don't believe Bill Cosby is going to live much longer. You know, so as much as it's not fully justice because he got away with this for decades, he was convicted. He got out on a technicality, but he was convicted. He was tried. He was arrested. His career and his legacy are ruined. Now this goes, and that this, is the outcome that we should be looking for. And we should actually look at that and at least in some kind of positive light.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's, it's kind of been hard to reckon with over these past couple of years. Cause uh, like a lot of people, I love Bill Cosby. I, I loved his, his, uh, his comedy sure. career. Um, you know, I think at one point he was probably, he's probably like kind of like in Betty white territory or like, like nobody would question him. Like everybody was a fan. Uh, and, and then, uh, and then of course he jumped into some cultural war stuff and he started creating enemies. People (laughs) got upset with him. Um, and, but I, I, on your point, sort of like, what was the point of all of this? And, you know, and he did serve some time and is it worth it for people to come forward if they're sexually assaulted? Um, I actually think that in the end, this was all sort of a public service, uh, in the sense that. And this goes back to what you were saying before about high-profile people should be held accountable, and there's there's good reason to make examples out of them. And in Bill Cosby's case, that's definitely true because it sent, I think, a really clear message, specifically to men, a reminder to men, that you know women are human beings. Like whatever sort of you know gratification that you're seeking from them, and you have to treat them as human beings with agency, and not to rob them of that. And to and to obviously seek their consent, of course. And it was for just sure. it's just like another reminder of like, you know, this is this is vile and you should be reminded of it. It's okay for, for society to remind um all of us uh that there are certain behaviors that we should consider vile, and here's why. And it gave people time to think about it. Now, will everybody of course take the right lessons from it? No, of course not. There's always going to be people who 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 don't take any lessons from any of this or don't pay any attention to any of this, but if there is some solace to find in all of it, I think the attention paid to this case and the specifics and the drugs that you're talking about and, and, uh, and taking advantage of women without their consent, all of that, the upside to it being publicized, other than, you know, there's the downsides is like people like kind of voyeur, voyeuristically like tracking stories like this, especially stories that involve famous people and sex. They just, they, they're drawn like moths to the flame, but Maybe the upside is that people will draw some good lessons from it. Maybe, maybe it'll change one guy's mind. Who's thinking like, you know, I can't, what am I thinking? Like, I shouldn't think of women this way. Uh, And hopefully, hopefully that's a positive outcome.
0: I sure hope so. But uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not a thousand percent uh, convinced, Uh, but hopefully they will understand that there will be consequences. You know what I mean? I I think, you know, I'm a believer that there's systemic patriarchy in our in our country and in our world and you know uh we have situations where women are not treated fairly and not and their humanity is not recognized and sexual assault is is a serious problem sexual harassment is a serious problem and as a society we are still evolving and you know some friends of mine we were talking about this you know and i often bring this up the stuff that you and i i'm not exactly sure how old you are vince but if you're anywhere near where my age, um, the stuff we grew up with, like, looking back on it, I'm like, holy crap. Like, that was despicable. (laughs) Like, you know, movies like 16 Candles and Revenge of the Nerds, where literally rape was essentially a gag in the film. You know what I mean? Like, you rape a girl and then get the girl at the end. You know what I mean? Like, it, it was like, just this really sick kind of stuff that was put out there. And I think we've evolved really quickly and we still need to evolve. And that's why I think me too, even though there's been been a backlash against it, uh, like that was so important for society. We needed that, you know, and men needed to be a little uncomfortable and, you know, they needed to look, all of us needed to look and be like, holy crap, maybe I shouldn't have looked at that woman that way. Maybe I shouldn't have made a comment about that woman's dress. Maybe I need to, you know, uh, to look at this situation differently. So there's,
1: there are some excesses, I would say in the criticism, like, so like, for instance, like one of the modern versions of this is like, people get upset with the, um, with the plot of the movie Sleeping Beauty, like, right, so the woman's asleep, that her prince kisses her, like, they don't even know each other, he kisses her. And then she falls in love with him. It's happily ever after. It's like, well, that wasn't, there was no consent there. Yes, that's true. But the uh, the point of the fairy tale is that the consent is implicit, that she was like looking for this guy, Prince Charming, and he arrives. There yeah. was something-
0: Beauty and the it, Beast is, is the one I have a problem with. Beauty and the Beast is a horrible. I won't <laughs> even let my daughter look at that. And, and, really? I, and I would suggest that you don't. I mean, she saw it, my wife. But <laughs> at, at any rate, the idea that, uh, I, I honestly like here's this guy who basically is abusive and she thinks she has to change him. You know what I mean? He's verbally abusive. Yeah. He, he basically imprisons her. You know what I mean? And then she has to change him.
1: Wait, wait, wait. So you're saying that a woman got together with a man and she didn't like his behavior. So she tried to change him.
0: No, his behavior was abusive, and he imprisoned her. I'm just not, saying, this is not. Like I think this is what they call
1: a tale as old as time.
0: <laughs> right, and and that's problematic. I don't want my daughter to feel like she has to change any man. You know, move on to the next guy. Five, You're
1: not gonna years. stop her, man. Every woman has that instinct. They're all uh, gonna change well, him.
0: We're, <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna work on it then. But I, I don't. I certainly don't believe that or or my son for that matter you know assuming that you know assuming that all my kids are heterosexual i don't know that yet but you know uh, uh, that with that assumption um you know i don't want them to think they have to change or i should say just broadly their partners like so you
1: think that your son should not impute uh imprison his future father-in-law and then trade him for the (laughs) for the daughter uh when she turns herself and says no take me instead
0: Right, right. Okay, absolutely. Good. And, and he should not be a jerk and be verbally abusive to the daughter, yeah. you know? And then she thinks, oh, and with all her whack friends, like, no, you can change him. And then right. she has to, you know, she has to change him. If he's a, a jerk, hopefully I, I, I'll smack him up a little, not physically, but, you yes. know, let him know, like, don't be a jerk. Be a good yeah. person. Yeah, I mean...
1: I think what's honestly, if you were to ask me, what's the most preposterous element of that story is that she fell for a dude who, who's, who looks like an animal. He's like an, like an actual beast. Um, so that's the weirdest part of the story to me, but the, the hyperbole that's involved sort of, you know, the damsel in distress versus this like psychotic guy does speak to actually there is a fundamental human truth built into all of that, which is that, you know, there is this attraction that women have to, um, sort of out of control men to varying degrees and they think they can change them. And actually, I don't think men like to admit this, but they do get changed by the women they end up with, especially if you marry them over time, you will change. I don't know about you. I've definitely changed. I'm way more tame than I was when I was younger. And my wife has obviously played a role in that um, for sure.
0: I don't think you know, a woman this... ever changed me. You know what I mean? I think nothing I about my... you. I think I, when, I think they can be a good influence. But yes. I think I, if if I wanted to change something, I changed it myself. You know, I give myself the credit. You
1: but know, for, for both of you, though, change. but for but for both of you, it wasn't just for you; it was for her as well. Um, I I would say because that's what that's really what marriage is about. I think. Um, but it's you know, for instance, there's this um phenomenon where if you notice, like, where where uh, serial killers end up with all these pen pals, like women who will write to serial killers in prison. You know about this phenomenon.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and it's like, yeah. and it's
1: wild. It's like they don't know this person. They just decided they're going to start whipping off letters to the guy, and you're like, "What are you doing?" And there have been looks into the psychology of women who do that, and it comes from the "I can fix him" sort of um, theory of life, which is like, like first of all, there's a couple reasons. Um, there's a, a forensic psychologist who named Catherine Ramsland, who's studied this. She was a professor at my alma mater, a place called DeSales University, but she's one of the foremost um, uh, researchers into this. And she said that there's a couple of things at work. One of them is the uh, the ultimate project, a guy who clearly needs to be fixed. And so, so you get all these women who'd like to fix him. Uh, second, you always know where he is you never lose track of him. He's he's always inside that jail cell. Uh, So so there's that. You know, he's not cheating on you either. That's exactly right. You know, he's not cheating on you. At least least (laughs) not with a woman. Um, And then uh, the other element to it is, I think, just the attraction to fame, you know, fame being kind of a stand in for power. It's like, I'm, I'm having this communication with this guy that everybody everybody knows. So it's, uh, it's sort of kind of fascinating. Human psychology always amazes me, including in, in its weirdest moments.
0: Right. But I don't think that that, um, though it is a more of a phenomenon with women, you can't tell me that like Jody Arias or, you know, is it Jody Arias? I I can't remember, but you know, the one who killed her husband that she wasn't getting letters from dudes like, Hey, I think you're not guilty. You know, I bet you're a good person. I think that that's probably, we just don't have as many women's serial killers.
1: Wait, was um, Jodi Arias a smoke show? I'm trying to look. Uh,
0: she was, she was, she was a little close. smoky. <laughs> yeah, she was a little smoky. She was <laughs> a little smoky. There you go. Okay, um, I'm Terrible person. At um,
1: Let's see. Can I, can I focus fire here? Uh,
0: Yeah. yeah. Jodi Arias. You know, and, and that's her at trial, you know? So yeah. she's, she's stressed out there. That's not Yeah,
1: who her was the one, who, who was the one from that- who was the one from Italy that everybody was all?
0: Oh, God. For? That, you know, the racist one? The one who who was like, oh, I didn't do it. It was the black guy? <laughs> you know, that one. Um, I can't remember her name.
1: Amanda something, right? Amanda Knox.
0: Amanda Knox. Amanda Foxy Knox. Noxy.
1: Foxy Noxy. Remember her?
0: Yeah. And they called, like, I remember in, um, you know, I don't think she, yeah, I guess they have different tastes, <laughs> you know, I, I'm, I think I'm, you know, if I'm going to write a letter, it's going to be to Jody Arias. There you go. <laughs> uh, let's do power but-
1: rankings. Let's do, let's do, uh, <laughs> let's do power rankings here. You got Jody Arias.
0: I'm I'm writing to Amanda Knox.
1: Let me be honest uh, with
0: you. Sounds good. Uh, Amanda Knox is, is around. Like I, I think I saw like a documentary. She's out of prison. Like she's not in prison. I think she got away with that. Right.
1: I don't, honestly, I don't remember.
0: <laughs> I'm pretty sure she got away with that. Yeah. Um, I was. That was I one of those stories.
1: That was one of those stories that was kind of ambient to me. It was like, yeah, yeah. Okay. Amanda Knox got it. It was just like, and you kind of know it's one of the, it's, it's definitely one of those stories where you're like, okay, I know why it's on my TV screen. It's because of what she looks like. They keep on showing us. The, the only reason anybody's even following this story uh, is because of their looks. And this, that happens a lot, right? Like, you know, anything that yanks your heartstrings or that attracts you to the television screen, like, you know specifically yeah. cute little kids who get kidnapped or whatever it's like that's a whole genre of all right of news. so
0: so i'm gonna be a i'm gonna be the debbie downer here and i'm gonna do something that i'm sure uh, our audience is gonna be like oh here he goes again which is yeah. why you know some of i always say me. that i say that all the time <laughs> go ahead <laughs> but i'm gonna enter race into it and part of that is that amanda knox particularly with her case Mm-hmm. Um, I think they they referred to her as the angel like an angel or something like that when have you ever seen a black or latino woman you know with the exception of Joe Yeris, I guess um a black or a brown latino woman uh, in front of a jury for a murder uh ever be referred to as an angel um and again one of the things that has come out of some research, And I'll find it for you guys if if you're interested. Um, Basically says that white suspects are more likely to get away with crimes or, um, and black suspects, even if they're innocent, are more likely to be convicted of crimes because juries see, particularly with young people, they see themselves or they see their children in the person who's being accused of the crime. And that's not the case when they look at young black people. Um, so a lot of times that's where you get these disparities. I think it's, um, a black person speaking of, of, you know, Bill Cosby, you know, I, my friends are like, well, you know, he's a black man and that's why, and I'm like, no, it's because he committed the crimes. But, (laughs) um, you know, I, I believe the statistics say that a black man who is accused of a sexual assault, an innocent black man who is accused of a sexual assault is three and a half times more likely to be convicted of the crime than an innocent white man. Um, with drugs, it's um, it's seven times. It, a innocent black man is seven times more likely to be convicted of a crime than an innocent white man is. And I believe with murder, it's 12 times. Now, I may have gotten drugs and, and murder mixed up. So, Huh. Uh, if, if you're watching, go go ahead and uh, check those statistics. But I know and do you know three and a half, seven and twelve. Do you know anything about
1: the composition of the juries and something like that? Is this an actual jury of their peers?
0: Well, again, so I always have this discussion with students: um, jury of your peers doesn't always mean the same race as you or the same no, class. And, and, and I think and it that's shouldn't. actually yeah. I think that's actually troubling because then you have Donald Trump in front of a bunch of billionaires, white dudes, and they'll be like, not guilty. Or, you know, yeah. whomever, not not just Donald Trump, but whomever, whether it's the guy from Enron or, you know, or but Bernie Maydog. But my,
1: my, my sense is, like, if you commit a crime in Detroit and then you're prosecuted in Detroit, that you should face a jury of Detroiters or whatever they use sure. to, to explain.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. no, sure, absolutely. And there is some evidence that black juries... uh are sometimes more harsh on black suspects. So I will say that in part because um, if they think you're guilty, um, but they are more harsh because of the fact that it's their communities that are being affected by whatever crime you you have committed or alleged, alleged to have committed. So sometimes those juries can be more-
1: It might be. Um,
0: more harsh, but I would I wonder- say-
1: sorry I'm, I'm yeah, I, sorry. I just wonder if um, there might be also the reverse phenomenon where you have white I mean I, I'm relying on your assessments here but um sure. where you have white jury members who decide to go easier because they don't want to allow race to dictate um the outcome right so like I mean- it may be you know, black ghost, like a, like a black jury is tougher for racial reasons. It might be that also white juries are, are easier for racial reasons. I don't Who knows?
0: Yeah. I don't think that there's ever, from what I've read, I, I've never heard that, but you know, it it is, I suppose that's a possible phenomenon, but um, for some it reason, is, I doubt it seems, that. It seems <laughs> you like it, I, you and I have talked about it. That.
1: You and I have talked about it before, but it seems like that that's true with uh, cops. You know, uh, black cops are more likely to shoot a, uh, a black suspect than a white cop is um, in all of the data on, on this. Uh, and you wonder, is it are, is there um, trigger hesitancy among white cops with black suspects that it, that doesn't exist with black cops?
0: Yeah. I don't, I, again, I, I don't believe so. Um, I think, you know, so there is something to be said about familiarity. I think that people cause I, I've had run-ins with most of the worst run-ins I've had with police. I've always been with black cops and I've never been arrested. Um, but, you know, I think whereas, for example, you would be sir, I would be homeboy. You know what I mean? Like there's a certain familiarity that they assume that they have with me that they would not assume with you. And there's also, I don't know who Vince Colonnades is. I see this white guy, he's got some nice little glasses on. And then I see, you know, this handsome, muscular black dude. Uh, like Jason Nichols, <laughs> but no, I'm kidding. Yes, but, um, and He's very
1: threatened by you already. He's like, God, yeah, this guy's yeah. so much more impressive than I am. <laughs>
0: right. Um, so sometimes, you know, that, that can cause, you know, uh, some issues there. But so you're I, saying this I, is across you have to bear. Trigger, <laughs> I don't think there's evidence of trigger hesitancy amongst uh, white cops. And the one thing that I will say also is that white, I think the issue that the mainstream media mixes up is this idea that you know there's a divide between white cops and black cops like it's police the structure of policing that's what you know the people on the ground are saying it's not about the race of the individual cop we don't believe that individual you know there are some individual white cops who have racial animus but that's not what people are alleging they're saying that policing needs to be fixed. And if there is racial animus amongst individual cops, there need to be systems to root those people out Like right. policing. Um, but I guess with our last little bit of time, we may not have a lot of time. Um, we have to talk a little bit, I think, about the Biden economy and Biden diplomacy right after this quick little break that we're going to take. Now, Um, Of course, we saw recently that the Biden economy has added 850,000 new jobs, which exceeds all uh, expectations. Labor force participation has remained unchanged at about 61.6%. The biggest gains were in the hospitality and leisure section. Uh, So that is good news because uh, that was one of the industries that was hurt the most uh, by the pandemic. We're certainly not out of the woods, but it looks like we're headed in the right direction. So that's a good thing. But I really wanted to talk about something that we had talked about in another previous episode. Go and you had said, um, and I think you were right to be skeptical uh, about, you know, the tax issues. Um, you know, raising corporate taxes in the United States could have a blowback because it's going to get people to go overseas. And the Biden administration was trying to get uh, the, the rest of the world to cooperate. Yeah. And uh, you were skeptical about that, but it seems like the first step has actually happened. And so, you know, Janet Yellen and other people are spiking the football because uh, the Biden administration uh, has gotten 130 countries to agree to a global tax overhaul. That's 90% of the planet. That includes India and China. And, um, you know, the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development has gotten all these countries to agree to a 15% minimum tax. And also, and I think this is the most important part, companies must also pay taxes where they do business and not just where they have a physical presence. And I think that's going to affect you know, the Jeff Bezos of the world and the Amazons who can say, oh, well, you know, our offices are in Honduras, so we have to pay Honduras taxes, even though we do all of our business in the United States. So I think that uh, this was a real big win for the Biden administration. And so I'm looking for how is Vince Colonese and the right and the Daily Caller going to dump all over this? (laughs) You want me to dump on it? I don't want you to dump on it but huh. I, I, I'm i figuring that no you're always let me just say this really quick quickly you are always fair you are conservative but you are always fair to every side of things I hope that I am you know and at least when I have my biases I make them known which I think is fair you know I, I yeah. you know certain people I don't like so, <laughs> that's help.
1: okay you're not you don't like I don't have like, like
0: everybody. I, don't, I don't like Donald Trump you know
1: um, the uh, okay, so taxes. My uh, my position on taxes is we should have a favorable environment, uh, as you as you stated. You you paraphrase me well. Um, that encourages businesses to stay in the United States and uh, not to pursue tax shelters el- elsewhere. Um, there will be that though, and you know you could get there's, there's hundreds of countries on the planet. So I mean at, you could get any number of countries to agree to this. There will always be outliers who um, either uh, don't abide by a global agreement of any kind or um, create the types of carve outs that incentivize incentivize businesses to shelter their incomes uh, overseas. So for that reason, you know, we should have a, a tax code that is uh, encouraging for businesses to set up shop here. What I really want is not just businesses like setting being headquartered in the United States. I want jobs being created in the United States. Oh, I sorry. want a system that incentivizes the the restoration of American manufacturing, the restoration of American energy development, the, kind, the types of stuff that will lift people who are in the lower class into the middle class and help the middle class to flourish. Um, so that's if you can do that as a politician, uh, however you get there, uh, I think that would be great news for the United States of America. So in that way, uh, I'm really open-minded. I think these economic numbers that you uh, referenced at the outset, where we're seeing, uh, you know, some people getting back to work, uh, I, you know, I not not an economist, but I have seen the numbers of. Um, the Republican states who who got rid of all of that extended unemployment, who said, no, we're not doing that anymore. That has been a really good trend. We've had some time to look at it now. And those, especially Republican states, they're all the only ones I think that have done this, who've erased extended unemployment benefits from the federal government and said, no, we're not handing those out anymore. Yes, we're reinstating that you have to look for work in order to receive unemployment. That is um, more, that had more than double the success that the remaining states who are going to continue to take those extended unemployment benefits until September um, have registered. I think it's a clear sign that we need to stop the extended unemployment benefits and get people back to work because that's actually what's occurring. It truly did happen. And so, um, you know, look, I I still think we got some headwinds coming. I mean, as we're talking, we're going into July 4th weekend. Gas prices are, are high, naturally, as they would be for a July 4th weekend, but I think unnecessarily high. And also we're looking at more shortages, some places that won't be able to fully fill those pumps um, going to and through this weekend. Um, and also the cost of goods is still sky high. The cost of housing in particular, still sky high. Um, I hope you've mentioned it before that it is what the Fed is referring to too, is transitory that it's going to all disappear and we'll be back to normal and everything will be running at, at full speed. Uh, but I am a little glass half empty on that and uh, praying that... Um, that a good economic future is ahead of us.
0: Well, I think the the cost of um the cost of housing, they say is kind of self-correcting because consumers are refusing to pay those costs, which I think is a good thing. Um and so that I think they're saying that that's yes. going to self-correct because people are not going to pay. You hear these stories, I think there was one person who who overpaid for a house by like a million dollars. I'm like, "Yo, you're tripping." Um, but you know, that, that people are like, you know, I'll stay put, I'll stay where I am. I'm not going to pay that amount of money and I'm going to wait to see where the market goes. And that is going to help self-correct, um, housing market.
1: Although there's, here's an issue that you and I have not talked about at length, but we, uh, we should, at some point, these, um, private equity firms that are buying up all of this property across the United States, BlackRock. Like who have like bought I think uh, a quarter of they bought a tremendous amount of property in Texas they're buying property all over the country and what they're doing is they're strangling the uh, the market in terms of people being able to buy homes and then flipping them turning them into rentals where they make um, rental income out of all of this and making it so that fewer people can actually you know purchase their piece of the American dream by way of that property. Uh, and a lot of these companies are also trying to turn um, single-family homes across the country into multi-unit properties, so they can pay, charge more in rent, and make more income. And again, depriving people of the ability to uh, to jump into the market and and to purchase that that home for themselves. So I think that's that's a problem. That's a big problem, and uh, one that I wish we had the courage to address.
0: Yeah, no, I I agree. Um, I think home ownership and and I'm I'm going to quote Malcolm X real quick. One of the things Malcolm X once said is that land is the basis of all independence. And I think you can mean that on a macro level. You know, I think he meant it on a nationalist level. But I think you can also say that on a micro level uh when you own land, when you own the property around you, that makes you more free and more independent and I want yes. more people to own uh, their homes, you know. Um, yeah. And of course, we, we've we got that, um, you know, a huge racial gap in terms of who owns homes and who doesn't, who I hope, I hope that this administration actually works to uh, close that gap. And, you know, they say they are, but we'll see what actually happens. Uh, but I think that that is, you know, a big reason why we have the, the gaps in uh, wealth. So, I hope that, you know, and I want every American to be able to um, at least have the opportunity to own property if they actually want to own property. I think that's empowering for, you know, American yeah. families. And it's really sad um, if these capitalist forces are coming through and, um, you know, taking advantage of that and, and yeah. taking away the, the proverbial American dream. Right. Uh, from a lot of, of American families, I want everybody's kids to be able to run around a house and, and, you know, feel like it's theirs and, and not yes. have to move every couple of years. Um.
1: You There's pride in ownership. There's pride. And it makes, and it makes people uh, appreciative of their community and care about it. This is why I think, you know, I think it's important to have, uh, to have children, honestly, if you can, I, I, I think it's a big deal because, Who's gonna think more clearly about the future of the country than somebody who actually has another generation to hand it to? And yeah. I you know, that's not I'm not saying you you have to have kids. I am saying there it does it does have the effect of making you um acutely aware of what the future's gonna hold for the country.
0: And I, I just wanna make one little plug uh before we wrap things up, and that is um if you want children, have children. If you don't want children, don't have children, but there are also lots of children out there that need to be adopted. So, you know, adoption is always an option. And if you are somebody who is in a good place in life, an upstanding individual, uh, a person who follows the law and has a lot of love to give, there are lots of kids uh, within this country. I think a lot of times people are looking beyond our borders to adopt and there's nothing against you know I have nothing against that if you want to adopt someone from China or Russia or yeah. Central America. But there are lots of kids down the street from you. Yes. Uh who need to be adopted. And again, surprise, surprise, I can enter race into this, but uh it doesn't matter what the race of the parent is, um if you love children and you are willing to learn about the culture of that child, uh you should you know feel free to adopt someone who doesn't necessarily look like you. And right. one of the things that we know of uh, African-American children don't get adopted, don't get adopted. It's, it's a fact. As a matter it's of also,
1: fact, h- it's also harder to adopt uh, domestic American children than it is to, to adopt internationally. Yeah. But so, you know,
0: what's interesting is that, you know, there is a pay structure to adopting, And I mean, the cheapest child to adopt is an older African-American child. A younger African-American child is cheap as well the most expensive are white babies, you know, white babies because there's such a high demand. And what I'm saying is if you have love in your heart um, and I think it's important to know certain things about the culture. But if you if you have love in your heart and you want to raise children, um, you know, also consider adoption, you know, it's something I've considered my wife and I, we we've been going back and forth about it. But, you know, something that, that I'm considering, I already got three kids you know, right. um, but hopefully you will watch this podcast, make me some bread so I can adopt a child. That's right. Afford that. Cause I could barely afford the three. I have, uh, <laughs> I got plenty of love to give though. And I got mad love for Vince colonies, mad love for you guys for watching. Thank you once again for watching Vince and Jason, save the nation, join our mission, like subscribe, go to every podcast uh, outlet. There is look for us or look for us on YouTube or Facebook. Watch, We love having you be a part of uh, Saving the Nation. Peace out.